I've been practicing actually for quite some time, early 70s. Uh, I've been coming out to IMS and teaching here a few times a year uh, for about 17 or 18 years. Um, and my home base of teaching is the Cambridge Insight Meditation Center, Cambridge, Mass, uh, where uh, me and several of my colleagues are um, teach on a very regular basis in an urban center. Maddie has been practicing for just about 25 years. Um, she teaches at CIMC, and she's also the executive director. Uh, so she somehow managed to do both. And also, she's been teaching uh, some out here at IMS also. Um, so we're used to working and teaching um, pretty new yogis, new practitioners. Um, so you're in, in experienced hands. Um, the schedule is it, the schedule's been posted for tomorrow. Um, I, it, it's kind of been a thought-out schedule, uh, specific for this particular form, recognizing that a lot of folks are new to retreats. Um, some of you may see it as kind of intensive, and I think it is, uh, in comparison to many other places. Um, you know, there's a lot of continuity of practice. You know, quite a few sitting and walking sessions, but the sitting and walkings we don't feel like are too excessively long. Um, and we'll talk um, as the retreat unfolds about different ways of working with the practice, the sitting practice, and the walking practice uh, to try to facilitate, uh, you know, more relaxation, a sense of greater ease in your practice. You know, we'll we'll be talking about uh, posture, for instance, um, and uh, the culture here at IMS is, is pretty open in that sense that you're not forced to sit, um, you know, cross-legged in um, full lotus or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, there are meditation benches in the back and lots of extra cushions, and there are many, many chairs that are lined up. And my guess is some of you may end up in those chairs, uh, at least some of the time during this retreat. Uh, and that's fine. You know, the thing that we don't want to do is to feel, to encourage an attitude where you feel like you have to sit in agony so that you're being a legit, legitimate meditator. Um, it's not like that. Um, we want you to be able to be reasonably comfortable while you're sitting. You know, the sittings, I think, pretty much most, many of the sittings are about a half an hour long. Occasionally, there's a 45-minute one thrown in there. Um, so things that we'll talk about is alternating. Sometimes you could sit in a chair. Other times you might sit on a cushion or try a bench if you've never tried that. Um, so we'll be talking about that, making some suggestions around how to work with that, the frequencies of the sitting, um, kind of the continuity um, of the schedule itself. Um, in, in a little while, Maddie will be talking about um, some of the guidelines uh, that we live by while we're practicing here at IMS. Um, you know, the guidelines that you, know, you can choose to live in, in your daily life also, they, they can be extremely helpful, some of them anyway. Um, not the noble silence one, um, but uh, you know, some of the ethical guidelines that Maddie will talk about are also practices for everyday life, but they're also specifically designed for retreat life to try to create a harmonious uh, environment. Um, you know, this, even though my first uh, meditation retreat was like 30 plus years ago, I still remember it. Uh, it wasn't a weekend, it was a 10 day. Um, but um, I remember it was a really big adjustment, you know, really big adjustment to come out of daily life and to come into a, a retreat center and uh, in, in getting in, kind of making that leap. You know, many of you, I'm sure, have read books, and some of you have done daily practices. And, and coming to a meditation center, a place that you've never been to, I think takes a certain amount of courage or confidence or, uh, you know, curiosity anyways. Uh, but it's a bit of a leap to come and, and stay and live in a place for two days in, in, in an environment where, um, where there's a lot of support but also a lot of encouragement uh, to meditate. You know, all day long, actually. Not, and when I say meditate, I don't mean just sit all day, but 
what we talk about a lot in this practice of insight meditation and you know the conditions on retreat life uh, the retreat environment are meant to try to help us develop a continuity of mindfulness Maddie and I teach a lot in the city and we live in the city and we know just how demanding you know, in the kind of pace that people live their lives. And is, we're living in a world where there's, you know, multitasking is not considered psychotic behavior. Um, it's actually, uh, you know, a value, um, uh, you know, where more and more is being piled on us and, and life is very, very demanding and pressing. Um, and just the act of relaxing and trying to just appreciate the present moment wherever you are is a challenge. You know, it's a challenge. The mind gets extremely preoccupied in the worries and concerns of uh, everyday life, uh, extremely preoccupied with fixing and solving problems and uh, moving things around, shifting, coming up with uh, solutions. Um, so retreat here, life here is a lot simpler. You know, the culture is much simpler. Uh, there's a schedule to follow. Um, a very simple schedule. You know, Libby made a joke about sitting and walking. Well, we eat a couple times a day, and there are other activities. You'll have a, a what we call a yogi job. Just so you know the language, right now we're all yogis. Uh, you know, we're, that's what we call folks who are practicing um, yogis. Uh, but everybody has a yogi job, and that's actually, it's not only is it a significant activity to support the community of practitioners here, uh, because it is. Um, but it's also a real opportunity for practice uh, to begin to take a look and examine uh, what one's relationship to work is. And it's very interesting, even in a situation where you're in a retreat and you're engaging in a, maybe an a activity, a yogi job that actually most of the activities we're pretty familiar with. There's nothing that unusual, but it's certainly in a different environment uh, and you're often working with other people. Uh, quite often. So it's fascinating to see if we can relate to that phenomenon that we call yogi job with some, with more mindfulness, with more presence, with more awareness. You know, instead of taking, doing something just to get it done so that we can move on to the next thing, is it possible to have a little bit more breathing room and to actually pay attention and relax into the activity while you're doing it? Um, on a retreat, there's a, there's a real opportunity to do that. Um, and the opportunity to do that actually creates an opportunity to learn. You know, insight meditation really means learning, you know, learning about yourself, uh, you know, learning to be more free in the situations that you find yourself in. And I mean by free, I mean inwardly free, you know, not so driven, uh, not living a life so much out of habit, but a life where you feel very connected to what you're doing, you know, where, where you feel like you're in relationship to what you're doing, where you feel that what you're doing on this planet is, is an expression of yourself. It's not just going through the motions. Or it's not just trying to complete a task so that you can move on to the next. I mean, that's, that's a deep psychology and a deep value in this culture, um, but we need to be able to work with that so that we're not imprisoned by that particular conditioning. You know, many of us have lots of things to do. And one of the myths about meditation is that you, you know, have to do, you have to look a certain way while you're doing it. Like you have to look meditative when you're doing it, or you have to do it way more slow than you would normally do it in your everyday life. You know, so, I mean, if, you're st if you've got a job like dishwashing or pot washing, uh, if you start micro slow moving during that project, um, you'll have s some reactive <laughs> folks working with you who are not going to be happy with that. Because if the job lasts two hours, well, you get to miss that next sitting. And we don't want you to do that. Um, so it doesn't always me mean moving slowly in doing, every doing what we're doing. That's not necessarily the definition of meditation. But life on retreat does create more space to take your time. To not hurry when you don't have to hurry. And actually, there are very few reasons to hurry on retreat. 
Hari, it's an opportunity to see Hari as a habit of mind because it becomes a habit of mind. And so retreats, the whole environment is meant to support this sense of taking one activity at a time and being present while you're engaged in that activity. So that no activities are considered insignificant in the sense that they're not worth paying attention to or they're not worth being present for. You know, the fact is deep insights and profound wisdom can arise out of some of the most ordinary activities that people engage in from day to day. You know, there are many teachings in the traditional Buddhist text of just that, people having profound awakenings, you know, washing the dishes or cutting vegetables, you know, cleaning up, sweeping up, you know, doing things that we all know how to do, but we're often not present while we're doing that, and there's not a lot of creativity, there's not a lot of learning, there's not a lot of energy when we're just going through things in a mechanical way. You know? So retreats are an opportunity to begin to slow down some. And that doesn't mean moving slowly all the time, but it does help to slow down even the body a little bit. Like no need to like leave the hall and race to the bulletin board. Um, the bulletin board's gonna be there. Uh, the schedule doesn't change that much. Um, you can take your time. You can actually be mindful when you put your shoes on. Actually, that's a really good practice to do because as you move out of the meditation hall, you feel very meditative. You know, as soon as you're out, you know, you're gone, racing on to the next whatever that might be. Whereas if you take your time and you actually say, okay, I'm just going to be mindful when I go into the shoe room, put my shoes on. Being mindful means just being present while you're going to the bulletin board or using the bathroom or getting a drink of water or moving into a walking meditation. You know, we can actually begin to relax a little bit and get, get a sense. Of, I'd really like you to get that sense as early as you can in this retreat that it's a, it, it's a matter of just kind of settling and relaxing into whatever you're doing. You know, whatever you're doing. And we just want to be able to begin to you know, shift gears a little bit, inwardly begin to slow down and start taking things one at a time taking one moment at a time. I do want to say something about kind of a, what we call in, in this tradition wise attitude in practice. And again, I think it's really helpful uh, to begin to reflect on one's attitude that one takes into, say, this weekend retreat uh, or into a meditation practice itself. It's very helpful to begin to see and understand that the kind of attitude that we want to support in our meditation practice, the kind of attitude that we want to support this weekend, is an attitude where uh, it's an attitude of being more relaxed about things. And what I mean by relaxed is not that you can't have reactions or that you won't go through adjustments or you have to be totally cooled out at all times. It's not that kind of relaxation. It's more seeing if it's possible to let go of any particular attachment to any agenda that you might have for yourself. Most of the time when we come to a retreat, you know, we come to a meditation. It's, it's so different, you know, than what we're used to. And, you know, we, we sometimes invest, you know, sometimes our self-worth, our self-esteem, our highest aspirations, um, whatever it might be, we tend to, to, to want to get something done. You know, we want to accomplish something. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that particular attitude. I mean, I think most people would not come to IMS if, Say one didn't want a little bit more inner peace, for instance, or inner freedom, or more relaxation, or less stress, um, or a healthier relationship to yourself or to the world that you're living in. Uh, whatever the reason might be, those are what we call, quote, wholesome or skillful um, aspirations. Um, but having an aspiration and then being attached to a particular result because of one's effort 
creates a lot of tension. Okay. So like if we sit and we expect, you know, we put some, you know, we have some preconception, some idea that when we sit, this is how we should perform. This is how the meditation should be. You know, that my body shouldn't be in any pain at all. My mind should be more quiet. This is, after all, my second sitting today. And, you know, why am I still thinking? Uh, or why am I still feeling a little sleepy or restless? You know, uh, it must be the practice. It must be me. It must be the IMS. It must be the teachers. It must be something. Okay? So it, it, it's like what we're doing. We're doing something to ourselves. You know, we're not being allowing enough. We're not being realistic or accepting enough of the fact that this is a training. We want to be very gentle with ourselves in the process of training. You know, for most of us, we're learning new skills, a new approach. And this is a new and very different approach. Maybe not brand new to you, but it's very different than what we've been educated in ways that we've been educated or our training. You know, our training is achievement oriented. Really from very early on, what we're encouraging is drop that one for now in terms of the practice. Drop that whole idea of achieving something from the effort that you put in. It's not that there isn't fruit or there isn't benefits. Otherwise, you know, Maddie and I wouldn't be sitting up here and I wouldn't be doing it and she wouldn't have done it for as long as we've done it. You know, there's a lot of benefit and a lot of fruit that comes out. But what's crucial is the attitude along the way. And for some of us who are achievers or who tend to get into a lot of competitive energy or do a lot of comparing ourselves, either positive or negative, to everybody else, you know, those habits of mind can really trip us up and create a lot of stress for us even in, in a very simple practice like sitting meditation or walking meditation. You know, we put this whole idea, um, we create this whole framework of success and failure. You know, this is a good sitting, this is a bad sitting, I, this was a successful retreat, this one wasn't. And that framework is off. It doesn't work for this practice. This practice is a maturing and developing a whole different approach to your life. And, you know, sometimes there can be big awakenings where things shift around quite dramatically. Other times it's learning how to sit and work with restlessness or sit with sleepiness and try to relate to that experience with more wisdom and more compassion, you know, which can be a really deep lesson. A lot of deep learning can happen when things on the cushion don't feel like they're going so well. You know, a lot of deep learning can happen that. Some of the most insightful retreats I've had were difficult retreats. You know, retreats that didn't feel necessarily that peaceful, but yet there was a lot of discoveries that were really useful to me in my everyday life. Something I, really I could take that work into my daily life where conditions might be a lot more difficult and not as supportive as this environment. You know, um, for some of us who have practiced in a lot of different places, um, you know, we think that the conditions here at IMS are great. You know, I mean, I just think, wow. I mean, this, you know, meditation hall is wonderful. It's been renovated recently, and you know, just the buildings, everything's in really good shape, and it's warm and it's comfortable. Uh, the food I think is good, but no matter how what I think of those conditions. There's no such thing as perfect conditions. And that everybody has their own preferences. And I have no problem with that. You know, some folks will hate this place. You know, some people will love it, think it's just great. Some people will think, well, why, why didn't they make the meditation hall carpeted rather than the hard floor? You know, people, we can pick apart things. And, and more importantly, it's, it's necessary to recognize that there's a certain kind of adjustment that occurs in retreat life for just about everybody, but especially if you're new. Everything here, for, for most everybody here, everything that you're encountering, this whole facility, me, Maddie, IMS, you know, managers, registration sheets, 
all of this. I mean, many of you have done workshops and things like that, so we all kind of know it a lot. But still, it's all new. You know? and, and there's 100 of us almost, 90, 95, that are going to be living together for the next day and a half. So, you know, I live with one other person, you know, and I kind of like it that way. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a renunciation. You know, it's not as, you know, probably as inwardly comfortable as you would be in your home, you know, and you're interacting with people. And Maddie's going to talk a little bit about silence during the retreat in a few minutes. Um, so it's a very different kind of environment, and you need to be very patient. You know, even though it's a relatively short retreat, you still need patience. And that's a wonderful quality to develop, as we all know. I mean, one of the qualities that I have to work on more and more, <laughs> I definitely could be a lot more patient than I am, uh, it's just things that we confront in everyday life, you know, whether it's driving conditions and how people are treating each other and conditions of things. It's very difficult to be patient and not be reactive. So we want to be patient. We want to encourage that and see that that's a wholesome quality. That's a skillful quality. Even if you left this retreat after a day, you know, after we've been together for two days, and you came out feeling like more self-accepting and more patient with yourself, you know, more patient, just generally that sense of a little bit more spaciousness in the mind, you know, that would be just such a, a wonderful gift to give yourself something that you could use, you know, when you leave here is patience. You know, when the conditions change, when you get, find yourself in provocative conditions in your daily life, one of the things that we need more than ever is patience. And one of the things that we need is equanimity, you know, balance of mind, learning how not to be so reactive. And we can learn and develop those qualities on retreat, whether it's in relationship to each other or it's in relationship to yourself and the things that you encounter within yourself. So we want to encourage that attitude of being very allowing and accepting of how the sitting and the walking is unfolding. That attitude helps a lot with the practice. It removes a lot of tension and uh, stress and striving. If we can just say, okay, let's just go into this weekend, let's go into each sitting, let's just see what's going to happen. No agenda. You know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll have this experience, maybe I won't, but let's just see what happens and let's just keep paying attention and see what we can learn. That attitude, if you can cultivate that attitude, it's not easy to cultivate that attitude uh, because of all the conditioning, but it's such a, it's, it makes life so much easier. It's an attitude that took me a lot of years uh, before I recognized that that was the way to go. And in the meantime, I suffered a lot before I understood that that was really a good attitude to have in practice. It's very easy to get attached to certain ideas about what should be going on. So we're encouraging that attitude of inner relaxation. Um, another quality that we're, uh, where I think the retreat environment is quite brilliant and very, very supportive in is trying to nurture this quality of mind and heart, you know, quality that we all have right now. Don't have to come to a retreat center to get it. But retreat centers can be extremely helpful in supporting and strengthening mindfulness. You know, that form of intelligence that allows us to uh, bring a uh, open-hearted attention, you know, this quality of silent, open-hearted attention into the here and now. Yeah. It's different. It's different than thinking. Thinking is analyzing, figuring out, reflecting, solving, you know, commenting, describing. It's not very silent, as we all know. Mindfulness is silent. It's just simply knowing the experience just as it is, without adding or subtracting. So if you think mindfulness is difficult, I'll prove to you it's not right now. See if you can feel the contact of your body touching the cushion of the chair. See if you can feel those sensations. Take a few moments. 
Now be honest, who can't feel any sensations at that contact point? Okay, one. It's not many. You can't feel this, the cushion you're sitting on? That, now you can? See, it didn't take long. Right. It's not that hard. That's what mindfulness does. It allows us to come into the here and now and be aware of what the nature of our experience actually is. So in other words, we might have a lot of ideas about sitting, that posture, that sitting experience. Like it's a good one, it's not good, it's ideal, it's not ideal. But mindfulness simply allows us to recognize what it actually feels like to sit. So in order to feel those sensations, in other words, those sensations were occurring you know, while I was talking prior to just pointing that out. But when we shifted our attention to that place, when we brought our attention into that experience, all of us here could feel those sensations. That's what mindfulness allows us to do. It allows us to move into the present and experiencing it and experience it fully. You know, experience it fully, not in a disconnected, distant way, but allows us to move closer to the experience itself. We call it intimacy, you know, get it, becoming more intimate with what your actual experience is. So retreats, whether it's the method that we're, gonna, we're going to be working with, whether it's the environment here, um, whether it's the schedule or the teachings, they're all meant to nurture that re- reminder and practice and training to always keep coming back to now. Always keep coming back to now. It's not out there. Wisdom insight, liberation, whatever the aspiration might be. It's not out there. It's here. It can be discovered in any moment in the here and now, but it needs to be discovered in the here and now. And that requires us to look and experience the here and now. And then that opens up all sorts of possibilities for us. All sorts of possibilities of relating to who we are, to the world we're living in, to the relationships we're in, to the activities that we're engaged in, to the environment that we're living in. It allows us to move into that experience. And there's some energy and creativity and awareness and learning that can come out of that interaction of mindfulness with what's happening. And so a retreat is designed, retreat at IMS is designed to create and support a lot of reminders. The method is a reminder, it's a practice, so that we keep coming back because the mind that thinks and uh, wanders and gets preoccupied, that takes us away. It, you know, it takes us out of the here and now. Thinking often takes us out of the here and now. And mindfulness brings us back. And you can see how much patience one might need to do that and also how much perseverance it requires. Any new skill, we all know this, if we wanted to take up the violin or the piano or other, you know, lots of other, anything that's, anything that, you, you know, any skill requires training and patience. You know, if we just wanted to take up the piano, we tried it once or twice and really, we weren't playing Mozart. Um, and we just say, oh, hell with the piano. I can't play Mozart. Well, you're never going to play Mozart, obviously. You have to persevere. You have to learn scales. You have to keep moving. You have to keep showing up. And that's how practice is, too. And so the schedule is designed not to punish, not to push, you know, not to shove you into some situation that you don't want to be in, but it's meant to create the structure you know, so that we do keep showing up. Because there's probably nobody in this room would probably sit as much if they're just left to themselves as we will over this next couple of days. I mean, the fact that there's a schedule and the fact that there's a group practicing together is a tremendous support and opportunity to stretch a little bit and to really use your time at IMS well. Not striving, but just Keep coming back. Keep relaxing. Keep reminding yourself wherever you are, just be present while you're doing it. 
so, I mean, it's such a rare opportunity. Uh, and it, it, it can, it helps facilitate um, so many wonderful things. Practice is so freeing in so many ways. But secondhand knowledge of meditation, secondhand knowledge of all these things that we read about, all these Dharma books that we read about and inspiring stories, you know, that secondhand knowledge, it might get us practicing, it might help us in certain ways or inspire us, but it's not a substitute for actually doing it. And everybody here is a witness to that. You know that already. You know, that secondhand knowledge is not enough or, or else you would not be here. It's really, to, to learn about meditation means to meditate. You know, it's so much more valuable to meditate than to just rely solely on reading about it, no matter how inspiring it is, no matter how uninspiring your meditation might feel. You know, and there'll probably be a few moments of uninspiration in your experience, but I'll tell you, it's still more valuable if you move through it, if you keep going, if you keep just trying to apply the practice. So much more deep learning can occur. You know, it gets into your bones. You know, that's a, a teacher of mine used to say that, you know, practice can get into your bones. You know, it sinks in. Uh, it becomes you. You get it. And reading about it isn't enough. You know, doing it is a different story altogether, a completely different story. Because all those stories that we read about that have inspired us, maybe inspired us to get here, um, they, p- those folks have paid their dues. You know, it wasn't just handed to them. They practiced. They practiced. Many of them practiced very hard. So direct experience, that's what we're interested in. Open-mindedness, open-heartedness, not being attached to a particular agenda, learning to give yourself a bit of a break, you know, relax around any kind of pressure uh, that you might be experiencing. Uh, I know that this might be, you know, some anxiety out there around uh, what it's going to be like and whether you can do it and, you know, relax around that. You know, people have been coming here for now, boom, 25, 30, 30, 30, 32 years, 33 years, okay? There's been tens of thousands of folks just like yourself have come and practiced at IMS. And they haven't always sat in bliss. I can tell you that. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, it's been a lot of hard work done in this, in this center. And I, it feels it to me. You know, it feels the vibration, I think, in this room and in the center and the whole feel here. I just feel like we're being helped in a way by all those folks who practice uh, in front of us. Uh, not to be too new agey about that. We don't really, we're not really that new agey up here. Um, Places do sometimes matter. You know, the kind of work that's gone on before us does matter. It helps support us. Um, So relax. See if it's possible to appreciate your time here. Even appreciate sometimes when it doesn't feel great to realize that maybe it's an opportunity to move into that difficulty in a different way. Um, Over the next couple of days, I'm going to finish now and, and move it over to to Maddie. Um, over the next couple of days, uh, a method that some of you I'm sure are very familiar with or somewhat familiar, uh, others may be new, um, but the, a method of uh, meditation, kind of at the core of that method is mindfulness. It's a little more complicated than that. But um, a method will be um, you know, transmitted, taught, presented, and a lot, and several of the sittings will be guided meditations. I heard one of the questions that Libby had towards the end about, you know, when do instructions happen? Well, they happen during the sittings. They'll happen during the sittings. Um, and the method will be, there's like two phases in the method. One phase is uh, what we call in the Buddhist language of Pali, shamatha, and uh, in the second phase in the Buddhist language is vipassana. Um, but shamatha means the development of serenity, calm. In the way that's done, the instructions will be presented tomorrow morning at uh, 
they're starting actually a little bit tonight, but tomorrow in full, um, will be where, where the attention is focused on pretty much one ex primary object, exclusive object, so that the mind can begin to settle down. Mind wanders, you come back. And then later on in the retreat, uh, maybe the morning, second, the morning, second, second morning of this retreat, um, the instructions will change. They'll open, will open the field of mindfulness up to include the uh, vipassana practice. Um, so there's kind of two phases of instructions, but you'll be getting instructions, and a lot of the sittings will be guided meditations. Um, and also tomorrow you'll get instructions on the walking meditation because that's a, a significant form uh, that we that we teach here at IMS. Those are the two primary forms: is sitting and and uh, walking. So we'll give the walking instructions tomorrow. We don't have any walking meditation until tomorrow morning sometime after breakfast. Um, yeah, and the instructions, again, are designed to just develop, settle things down a little bit, develop some continuity of mindfulness, get a sense of the difference between mindfulness and thinking. Um, and also... Uh, in the morning, there'll be a Q&A, uh, and also in the afternoon, there'll be a Q&A. Um, time to ask questions in the hall. Uh, and then tomorrow evening, there's a Dharma talk uh, also. Um, and we're not in the hall for long, extended periods. I mean, let me mention that. You know, it's, it's, it's a situation where if you've been sitting on a cushion, and then we're going to go into Q&A, for instance, you know, we, do, we actually do go, right, really, pretty much right in from a sitting to Q&A. Um, but you can move and you can sit on the, a, a chair, you know, so that you don't have to sit in the same position that you find yourself in. Um, that's, that's very acceptable. After every sitting, if there was a Q&A, there would be a little bit of standing time. A couple minutes, we'd just do a little bit of standing before we open things up. So you're not in for like hours on end. I just want to be clear about that. There'll be plenty of opportunities for bathroom breaks. And I won't call it a bathroom break. There'll be other opportunities to, to mindfully go to the bathroom. Uh, how's that sound? Doesn't that sound better? <laughs> Sounds a lot better to me. Uh, mindful bathroom break. Yeah. We say that at CIMC, but here we, we're going to talk about being mindful as you go to the bathroom. Uh, we're not going to let you off. No matter what you do, we're going to tell you to be mindful. Um, so I think that's about it for me right now. Um, How about you, Maddie? You're up. Uh, yeah, could you just, uh, you can, why don't you stand for a minute or two? Maddie's going to talk a little bit, very short, about the guidelines, some of the crucial guidelines, and then we're going to have a short, short, short sitting tonight, uh, and then we're going to get to bed relatively early. Uh, and wake up is not so bad tomorrow morning, actually, not too early. To, um, can you hear me? Uh -huh. I'm afraid of that. 
Is it on? Yeah. Seems kind of funky. Okay. I don't know. That's good. Is that, can you hear me now? Okay, great. So I wanted to extend a warm welcome <clears throat> to you as well. It's really wonderful uh, to be able to spend the weekend together. Can you hear me? Okay, the answer is yes. <clears throat> and I'm completely delighted that so many of you are new to IMS as well as to the practice. It's really um, lovely. As Michael said, coming on retreat, it's really an opportunity um, and an invitation to learn about yourself and the practice. And we can support and we can encourage each other by creating an environment and a community where we can learn wholeheartedly about ourselves and about our lives. <clears throat> where we can live together in a kind and caring and harmonious way. Where we can cultivate um, a sense of simplicity, a sense of trust, we can really let go of all the busyness of our lives. And then we can learn to open and to receive our life just as it is in each moment. So here are the guidelines for living together. Michael said I was going to talk about this, and I am. I think the number one way, one of the number one ways we can honor ourselves and each other is through noble silence. It's really rare and precious to not talk, to have this time to let go of speaking. It may seem like it's difficult, but in my experience, it's actually a relief. It's just a relief. This is a silent retreat, so we really want to encourage you to protect the silence. As Michael said, there's time to talk in the Q&A, so you don't have to worry that you won't get a chance to do that. So <clears throat> this not talking and this silence includes talking to yourself, any sense of self-talk, and includes not talking to your roommate, if you have one, and not talking to anybody who you came on this retreat with, or uh, maybe a family member, a partner, a wife, a husband, a spouse, really just to be here um, and to support each other in silence. You don't need to worry about anybody you came with. They can take care of themselves. And in this way, we can really begin to open up and to learn more deeply about ourselves. <clears throat> so that's the first one. The second thing to do is to please do yourself and everybody else here a huge favor. Allow this time to be a time of inner connection. So I, I'm really going to encourage you to unplug, as Sharon Salzberg would say, Turn off, put away your cell phones, your PDAs, your iPods. Not to email anyone, not to text anyone, not to tweet anyone. I think I covered everything, didn't I? Really, this is quite an opportunity to connect with your life and yourself. It's a rare opportunity. You don't have to check that cell phone. 
What would it be like not to do that? So give yourself and others a chance to see and to learn, not talking and not using any devices at all. It really supports um, an inner calm and an inner letting go. I'm going to also encourage you, and Michael would encourage you as well, to let go of any reading. So if you brought any books with you, close them up, put them in your suitcase, and to wait till Sunday. And no writing. If you have a journal, please, it can wait. (laughs) You can write when you get home. And the last one is to let go of busyness or agendas that you may have just for this weekend. So noble silence, letting go of the cell phones, reading, writing, and busyness. So those are some of the guidelines. But here at IMS, and in this whole 2,500-year tradition, there is a practice of non-harming. In fact, the entire spiritual journey rests on non-harming. So here at IMS, there are some ethical guidelines or some precepts that uh, we ask everybody to take. And I'm going to tell you what they are. So the first one is, I undertake the precept to refrain from killing living creatures. I undertake the precept to practice compassionate action. So this this guideline or this precept, which is not really a commandment, but this is about cultivating kindness. And even those little bugs that you might encounter in the shower, see if you can take them out of the shower and not drown them. The second one is I undertake the precept to refrain from taking that which is not given. I undertake the precept to practice generosity. So this precept is about cultivating generosity and cultivating trust. We can let go because we know no one's going to take anything of ours. The third one is, I undertake the precept to refrain from using sexual energies unwisely or uncaringly. I undertake the precept to practice responsibility in all my relationships. So here we're cultivating caring in a deep way for ourselves and others. The next one is I undertake the precept to refrain from harmful speech. I undertake the precept to practice kind speech. Well, this is cultivating silence and um, truthfulness. This is an easy one. (laughs) for us to follow here. (laughs) We're not talking, so that's that's great. And as I said, attempting not to talk to oneself, that's also kind of interesting. It's a little unusual when you're a beginner and uh, you pass somebody, maybe online or going to the bathroom, not to have some kind of contact, some kind of conversation. But in this way, you can let go and just notice maybe that feeling of, huh, wanting to say something or some feeling of strangeness, but then it drops away and it's there's some deep intimacy that arises in the silence with one another, such a connection when we're not talking. So maybe you can open to that. <clears throat> and the last one is I undertake the precept to refrain from the misuse of alcohol and drugs. I undertake the precept to practice caring for my body, and my mind. Well, if you're here and you're taking any prescribed drugs from a doctor, please keep taking them. That's not what this precept is. This is uh, an incredibly precious environment, and if we follow these five guidelines and these five precepts, it will really create a harmonious place for all of us where we can let go just a little more deeply. That's why we're here, to learn and to see. So coming on retreat, we do give ourselves and each other that gift of stillness, a gift of quietness. 
It's a time of not doing, a time of just being, being with ourselves, resting the body, calming the mind, and opening and receiving to receiving life just as it is in each and every moment. <clears throat> We're making a commitment to ourselves, to our well-being and to inner freedom. We're nurturing stillness, we're nurturing clarity of mind, and we're nurturing compassion. I would say that coming on retreat, it's a radical act of love. So we're going to do a very, very short sitting right now. You can stand for a moment. This will probably be be the shortest sitting of the retreat. So allow yourself to come into the body, resting the attention in the body. relaxing, just sitting and knowing that you're sitting. Bringing your attention to where your body is touching the chair or the cushion or the bench. Bringing your attention to your hands. Just being right here, right now, in this moment. experiencing the body. Softening and relaxing the body. Softening the eyes. The jaw. Relaxing the shoulders, allowing them to drop. Relaxing the chest area. Relaxing the belly. Just sitting and knowing that you're sitting. And then allow yourself to open to the experience of the breath and the body. Bringing your attention into the breath as it 
enters the nose, or maybe as it comes out and you feel it on your upper lip, or perhaps experiencing the breath in your chest area as the chest expands and contracts. Or maybe experiencing the breath in the belly as you breathe in, the belly expands and as you breathe out, it sinks or flattens. Just picking one place and settling the attention, settling the mind on the fact that you're breathing. If the mind moves away, not a problem. Just gently know where you are and bring your attention back to the breathing or the body. Just sitting and breathing from moment to moment.
So the retreat has begun, and as Michael said, you're going to bring mindfulness to all the activities this evening, so as you get up and make your way either to have some tea or to go to bed, or if you want to keep sitting, that's fine too, but please accompany yourself in whatever you're about to do. And the wake-up bell is at 6 o'clock, so... So we'll see you back here at 6.30 in the morning. The schedule's posted (laughs) on the board. So have a restful night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.